inaugural episode of Third Best Pod, where we crown the champions of the bronze medal. I'm Dan Herman, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben DeCamp, affectionately known as BDC. How's it going, BDC? What up? Oh, that's all right, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, we got that snowstorm the other day, but uh, that's how it is coming from great Minnesota in December. So if you're new to this, which you should be because this hasn't existed previous to today, third best will be some good old fashioned bar arguments about a range of topics from movies, music, food, and anything else that's worth debating. But we're not going to be debating things at their best. In the past, when I've bartended or I'm getting to know somebody, I'm inclined to ask what they think the third best of something is, because I think there's a lot to be learned about someone as, as, you, as you learn like what they value when things aren't really at their pinnacle. For example, it's pretty boring to learn that somebody thinks that Kevin Garnett is the best Timberwolves player of all time, or that Appetite for Destruction is the best Guns N' Roses album, because that's pretty much beyond debate. But who the third best Timberwolf of all time is, or if somebody just like super loves Spaghetti Incident, I think that's a little bit more interesting and wide open as far as like what people value. Ranking questions naturally lend themselves to sports and media. So we're going to try to push the boundaries of that, talk about some things that aren't always that. But if you hear about that a couple times... That's going to be the nature of it. But ideally, what we get is you yelling at us as you're driving around or on your treadmill while you engage in the choices that we've made, hopefully, and we sway you, or at least you get a newfound appreciation for a person or a thing or whatever it is that we're debating. Today, we're not going to be talking about Minnesota Timberwolves, nor are we going to be talking about Guns N' Roses. BDC, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Weezer's best third album. And that's actually kind of some of the basis of this because Dan and I worked together and there was an argument that someone overheard and told me and it was Dan and the co-owners of the brewery uh, arguing about the third best Weezer album, which I think is pretty fitting for the first first one. Yep. So that's why we chose this topic because it's the original question of this. And we brought in a guest today. Uh, We have a man that's committed to, to Weezer through thick and thin. He's at least listened to all of the albums once as far as I know. That's my brother, Mike. How are you doing today, Mike? Thank you for having me. Ben mentioned I am one of the co-owners of Falling Knife Brewing Company. He works at Falling Knife with me. So I'm currently sipping on a verbal tip, which is our Citra Mosaic Hazy IPA. I guess technically, since I'm in charge of marketing, we're our first sponsor. Falling Knife, (laughs) sponsoring third best pod. Let's get into it. What is the third best Weezer album and why is it better than the rest? Mike, let's have you go first. I think that Ben has already tipped his hand by saying the best third Weezer album. I think that's going to be the answer that a lot of people want to give. But the truth is, is that the third best Weezer album is their album that used to be called the Black Album. Uh, One of the things that has happened in the years since that has been released is they've actually released a self-titled album that had a Black cover that is now just called the Black Album. So more affectionately, you probably know it is a Black Album, but it is properly known as the album Make Believe. That confusion for me when you said this, um, because we did go ahead of this, there was some debate about if we're going to want to go in blind and just argue about it, or if we want to go in and having listened to each other's choices. And ultimately the decision was to go in having listened to each other's choices so we can speak a little bit more about it. Um, But when Mike, when you said the Black album, I actually listened to the 2019 one and I was like, oh my God. I think I got to get away from this family. Like, this is a really bad album. But then when you clarified it as make-believe, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that being the third choice. So what do, what do you specifically like about it? What do you like that makes it the, the, the third best in your choice? Well, I think that one of the things that people are going to say most about make-believe is that, isn't that the album that has Beverly Hills on it? And to describe Make Believe as the album that has Beverly Hills on it, be like describing 
License to Ill as the album that has Fight for Your Right to Party on it. I think that in both cases, you're missing that there is also a great album behind that astronomical hit. I think that, you know, as much as we'd like to believe that the biggest hit of their career was like El Scorcho or something like that, Beverly Hills is clearly the biggest hit of Weezer's career. In the Spotify numbers back that up, even if you listen to just one of the albums, I think that I listened to each of your choices and the very first album that it played on the radio immediately following was both of them just start, restarted with Beverly Hills, including when I listened to Make Believe all the way through, it just went back up to Beverly Hills at the top again. So I think that there's a reaction to that album that is saying, you know, it's not as good because it has this mega hit on it. But I would say that actually that it's a it's a better album than everybody remembers because they mostly remember the big hit. And in both cases, with both Beverly Hills and Fight for Your Right to Party, you're kind of, if you think that that's the ethos of the band, you're missing out that it's clearly a parody. The video for Beverly Hills was shot at the Playboy Mansion. I don't think that... First off, forget Hugh Hefner. But also, I think that it was kind of like hyperbole, and hyperbole is really, really hard to differentiate what's being ironic. So I think that Make Believe is a better album once you get past that big hit. And it's because I think that we're all in agreement, and I think everybody else that's in agreement. The first two Weezer albums are going to be what everybody describes as their two favorite Weezer albums. Right, in some sort of order. Yeah. Yeah, right. it'll it'll either be what's affectionately known as Weezer Blue, and then Pinkerton, in one or two or two in one order. Yep, I think that our memory of those albums, kind of like a Proustian Madeline, is not only in not only in listening to those albums at the time that they came out. I think that they were ninety five and ninety six or ninety seven, respectively. Yeah, right and I think there. that it's, it not only takes you back to that time, but it takes you back to those ideas of what it was like to, to be somebody that age at that time. I, you know, the famous line in, in the garage about the 12-sided die and Kitty Pride, And I think that that really describes growing up in America in the suburbs, which, you know, we've all in 2020 had an opportunity to kind of reclaim that sort of, well, I can't drive anywhere and I can't go see my friends, and I'm going to walk around my neighborhood listening to my headphones. I think that that's very much a moment that, you know, we can relate to as, you know, I just have to sit in my room and I have to listen to these albums. So I think that those are the things that we really, really like about those albums. But I think that the thing that in comparison to, say, the third album or uh, the fourth album is that this is really kind of make-believe is the first Weezer album that really kind of describes a more mature version of love. I think that one and two, they both kind of describe like in a second person, people don't get me or like there's something that's wrong with you. And if you go back and you listen to make-believe, especially now, not only not being a 14 year old, but being closer to a 40 year old, you listen to it and you hear it's a lot more introspective. It's a lot more mature version of love. And instead of that, like, they don't get me and I'm going to write an entire album about it. It's like, maybe I'm difficult. Maybe I'm the one that's different. And that's a much better version. That is much more long lasting. It isn't just kind of like an encapsulation of this piece of time. It's something that actually can last with you a little bit longer as you go along. Yeah. I hadn't listened to make believe in a very long time. I had forgotten how good the song perfect situation is. And you said, you know, they, they're doing a parody thing. I agree with you that probably Beverly Hills is their most popular song. I 
I would only counter that with possibly Ireland in the Sun. Those two seem to be kind of like their most, most popular of those. Um, I was really impressed with the song Freak Me Out. I didn't remember that song. To me, I've listened to Make Believe. I was like, yeah, this is very Weezer. I didn't, I didn't have the visceral reaction that you did to it, but I did pick up a couple songs that if I was going to make a Weezer playlist are going to get on there. The only thing for me is we are all on drugs is such an awful song oh, that I just couldn't, God. I couldn't do like when I listened to it a couple times, I had to skip that. Cause I just, I think that song is awful. And, sure, yeah. and to extend the metaphor back to license to ill, I don't think that anybody would listen to license to ill, which is between either the second or the fifth best beastie boys. album. I don't think anybody would listen to girls or fight for your right to party and be like, oh, those are great Beastie Boys songs that represent where they were going as a band. I think that We Are All on Drugs is also in that realm of parody and irony. So I, I don't think that there's any any need to kind of defend them. You just kind of slide them off to the side. Well, that was, yeah, like in my notes, I wrote like, is We Are, are All on Drugs a joke? Like it, it starts out, like I just couldn't do it. I listened to it a couple times. And every time I thought maybe I could find something in it that I really like, and there was not really anything on that right. song that I could actually yeah. like really choke down. Like at least like as much as Beverly Hills is a terrible fucking song, at least it gets stuck in your head and it's got that cool kind of like talk box guitar solo thingy, I guess. I don't know, but I just, yeah, we're all on drugs. I found myself like skipping a couple times. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I was reading when I was going through on this is um, Kerrang! Magazine talks about Make Believe and calls it the worst album by Weezer because We Are All on Drugs kind of created the next three or four Weezer albums that are, mm. that are bad. So yeah, I, I think that there's an interesting thing in this where I think you did kind of branch out musically a little bit. It's really the first time that synths arrive. And I think that Rivers was just like, I don't want to just be a guitar dude all of the time. We can talk a little bit this more when we get to my pick, but I think that there's like some staggering elements in here that kind of get drawn out. But, you know, I think he just wanted to write a pop album and I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I mean, it just isn't necessarily what I want coming out of a, a Weezer album. Yeah. Like he, they, they know how to write pop songs. Like they're po power pop to the they're the kings of that i think like this is such a pity is actually an all right song as weird and synthy and not weezerish as it is i thought once the like synths come in i was like oh this is kind of like a car song the one thing i don't like about it is that he starts singing kind of like the dude from muse and like maybe trying to be muse with that like very drawn out i don't want to say falsetto but like that weird kind of singing that i just couldn't do i mean it wasn't bad the song structure is really cool and it's different than what they've normally done like like mike said you know they're it's mature like you said it's a mature sound i just yeah. feel like the first two are so immature that i kind of love them it's like nostalgic in a way well and there's the immaturity of all of this but also you know struggle and have to like kind of reconcile how much i enjoyed music that is pretty openly I don't want to say hateful towards women, but at least has like a, a perception of women that isn't really mm -hmm. fair to them. Yeah. There's a lot of that in, in Weezer albums. I've also heard stories that River's not the, the nicest human being in the world to people that are around him, but I can also, you know, he's been famous for a long time and I think that kind of twists you, but yeah. Uh, my pick for the third best album by Weezer is Maladroit. It was an album to me that caught me at like the right time, similar to how Pinkerton did when I bought that CD when it first came out and how Blue, when I heard about it from some friends of mine, it just is an album that is like cohesive and good. And it's their heaviest album in a large way, which I enjoy heavy music a lot. 
And it really, to me, was like a situation where you're coming off of the Green Album, which is an unabashedly pop punk album. And River kind of decided he was going to put it back out there, you know, kind of expose himself a little bit again. And I think that, you know, the reaction to Maladroit isn't great. But so he, he kind of like went back into a little bit more of a sheltered thing in Make Believe exposes a little bit of it but not a ton and then after make believe and how that was received he just kind of went into like all right fuck you like we're gonna go straight pop punk for a while here but you know the i think that there's dope nose which is about as catchy as any weezer song has been or could be uh, but also has that depth to it um and in looking into this i was really interested by the fact that uh they actually put unreleased songs onto the internet to garnish feedback and then made adaptations to their songs based on what they had heard back. And given the time of this, which was, I think, 2005, that was very early for the internet to have somebody actually do that versus now, think, you know, you're Patreoning everything. I, I think it was earlier. I think it was like 2002 because it was on there. They were putting it I on believe there. It was 2005. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So 2002. Were, it was on their like fan, their fan sites. They were putting them up on like message boards and stuff. And I had read that Rivers like sent a bunch of unfinished tracks to radio stations to play as well. So people that didn't have the internet could listen to it, which I think is really cool. But I also kind of think that that's not a great thing for a guy like Rivers Como, who like is like a moldable chunk of clay when it comes to like reviewers and popular like media kind of shifting him and being like hey like Pinkerton sucked because it was all about you and so he didn't write songs about him anymore right so I don't know like I think it's a really cool thing to like hear from your your fans but I also think it's kind of dangerous and like can kind of dumb you down a bit yeah and I, I mean Dope Knows I said is one of the like catchier songs that they have and it's not even the catchiest song on the album to me Keep Fishing is just like beautiful perfect pop punk but also that's a good song throughout the album there's like these incredible riffs and it actually shows like some good uh dynamics which is a, a thing that i liked about yeah i went back and re-listened to the entire catalog which i don't recommend everybody listens to the entire weezer catalog but uh i re-listened to pinkerton and you know i'm a blue album over pinkerton dude and i think it got closer because i forgot how dynamic that album is you know there's there's highs and lows and there's quiet parts and loud parts. And I think that's one of the things that is uh, really appealing to me for Maladroit too, is that, you know, you've got death and destruction, which is like wall of soundish, but it's kind of quiet at the same time. Yeah. The only song that like stands out on, it uh, stands out to me on that album is uh, possibilities. Although that's one of like the more fun songs on that album. It just kind of doesn't fit. Otherwise I think that album is like super cohesive. See, I'm not a huge, I don't, I didn't like dope nose. I wrote down that it sounds like an OK Go song done in the style of your semi-cool drunk uncle and his buddies. Like it, it's like they saw that like treadmill video online and they're like, yeah, we can make a song like that. It's it's a well done pop song. I think it's maybe my hatred for like some pop song things that just that I just couldn't get behind every time I hear it. Because I, I remember when it came out, I listened to it and I forgot about that song. And then when I listened to this album the other day, it reminded me like, oh, man, I don't like that song. Which is but, funny, uh, because Slob I would actually really say that good. the Possibilities is the best song out of any of the songs that are on any of these three albums. Oh, interesting. Why is that? Is it just... Again, it's just kind of a perfect pop song. Yeah. I would say that it has that fast, upbeat rhythm, and yeah. uh, it's talking about, if we're talking about a version of love, it's not just kind of like 
oh my gosh, why does nobody get me? It's very much a, a moment of like, oh, th this is very, very new to a relationship. And therefore there's all of these possibilities that this, that this relationship could go off into. And yeah. uh, some of them could be like the, the, this could be the love of my life. This could be it. You know, like, I think that there's something that's very, very real there. And that's, that's very, very relatable to a lot of people. One of the things that I've read, I don't remember where this is from, but I was reading an interview where somebody was talking about uh, we listening to Weezer songs. And she said, you know, the thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, maybe the three of the people that are on this call, we sit and we're like, this is what it was like to be a 14 year old boy in middle America in the nineties. But she said, the thing that's really, really interesting is to listen to that perspective, but then also as a, as a woman to listen and to think, what is it like to be the sort of girl that would have songs like these written about them? Mm. You know, the, the, what, what, what sort of girl, uh, has that sort of rebellion what sort of girl has that sort of like unique attitude you know w what would be the most interesting so i think that the the possibilities is actually one of the most relatable songs and it's not just kind of limited to here's people that play dungeons and dragons and this is what you would write if you were writing a song and you know how to play dungeons and dragons it's kind of like here's you know, you're talking about the wall of sound. It's very much a song that's very relatable to everybody about, oh my gosh, here's this great new moment of new teenage love. And, you know, this this could be it. I don't know for sure one way or the other, but this could be it. Yeah. I like super yeah. hope that they do a 20 year tour of Maladroit knowing that they won't, but I would, <laughs> I would totally go to Roy Wilkins and watch them play this from top to bottom. Cause uh, I, I had a, I had a near hot take until I went back and re-listened to Blue and Pinkerton where I was going to be like, I think that I might like uh, Maladroit like on that level, but having gone back and re-listened to Blue and Pinkerton a couple yeah. more times, getting ready for this, I was like, "That's a that's a bold statement," but and I'm not willing to make. But I think that this album is like really, really super good. So, um, Ben, what what do you think? I know that you came into this with the uh, the the normie of being a, a Green album man. But how so, uh, how are you feeling? Yeah. So so going back, the Green album, like I'm a little bit younger than y'all. And so I had heard, you know, Weezer songs throughout, like on MTV and on the radio and stuff like that. And then I remember the Green Album came out and I went to the good old Sam Goody and bought that CD because I was the first one and, and it had hash pipe on it, which as a kid I thought was super funny and really cool. I liked the guitar sound on it. And I remember buying it and I was like, oh, Weezer is great. And then I went and bought the other two before it and listened to them and was like, oh, these are way, way better. And I think my mind kind of changed a little and I started getting a little bit more mature and like into girls, even though I was the nerdy D&D &D kid that was in the garage, not really talking to anybody. And so after like re-listening to it, because I, to be honest, like I listened to, to Blue Album and Pinkerton and that's it. Like I don't really, it's hard for me to like put on any other Weezer album after that. I think they kind of, maybe it's the like hipster in me that's like, no, it's not as cool. So I found some redeeming qualities in it, but it just felt like it was just a, it was like something, it's like if you ordered the blue album off of wish.com and then the green album shows up, it's like, <laughs> that's what you get. Like, that's my like feeling of it. It's kind of watered down. It's kind of like they tried to go back to Pinkerton got like bashed. And so he was like, well, I'm not going to write any lyrics that are personal anymore. And it, and like, he, I think he said like, he wrote it very unintentionally or he wrote it very intentionally not about me or what was going to be, what was going on in my life. And that, I don't know, like that kind of shows in the, in those lyrics. I feel like he just kind of like started hiding from everybody 
one of the things for me is that the green album feels particularly like a half-baked album because one of the things I really enjoy about uh, blue Pinkerton and also Maladroit and even make believe and some of the other albums that I listen to rivers is a very good guitar player. And I don't really like guitar solos, but at least he wrote interesting guitar solos or lead lines yeah. or whatever you want to call it on the green album. And this has been a complaint of mine since I first heard it is that he just plays the the main melody as, as the like guitar solo thing. It's like, yeah. that's, that makes me hate guitar solos even more. It's like, I can just hear you do this. Like, why don't we just remove this part? So well, to me, it's just like a half-baked album. There's no like dueling guitars like there are in the first couple albums. Like Blue Album, I feel like especially does that. The like, I call them guitarmonies. Like it's like two guitars going, Thin Lizzy did it. A bunch of bands did it. Yeah, I was reading another, I was reading an, or a uh, review of, of a different album of, I think it was Maladrite on pitchfork and in the beginning it talked about how the green album came out right when phantom menace came out and it was like both like star wars and weezer had been gone for a while and they both kind of are the same thing where there's like some diehard fans that are like really into it it's just kind of like turn your brain off and have fun but then there's also the like thing of well wait a minute it's still star wars episode one it still sucks you know <laughs> like it, i know it's star wars but it still sucks so i think that I think too that there was um, if it's it's interesting that you say Ben that you're that you're younger than us because I don't think you're actually that much younger than us, but there was definitely a uh, 1994 Kurt Cobain kills himself in April, yeah. Then Blue comes out in 1995, and at that point the record companies are like, we need to replace Weezer, so that's why Guided by Voices, you know, but also a bunch of bands yeah. like Seven Mary Three, they end up being yeah. sort of like we're gonna we're putting up the Hail Mary. Uh, then he puts out Pinkerton, which is based on an opera, and everybody's like, I don't really get that. But the truth is, is that there were a lot of people that got it. They just weren't old enough to be making records and having record deals quite yet. So by the time yeah. that Green comes back, I remember at the time, now this is when we're ripping things off of Napster and downloading them. I remember listening to actually a, a recording of... <laughs> Uh, Chino Moreno at a Deftones concert in like 1999, bragging to the audience that he had Weezer tickets. So, so first off, he's already famous by 1994. So, uh, yeah. So this is somebody that is actually one of uh, Rivers Cuomo's peers. You know, he's not somebody that's like influenced by him. That's that's, so he's somebody that is of that same generation and of that same era. So by the time that 2000 rolls around and the Green album comes out. There's, there's kind of this sort of like, well, why didn't people get this the first time around? So in a way, it was kind of him reclaiming that that status of, okay, you guys didn't get it back with blue. We're just going to put it out with green again. So I think that there's a utility to that album. Uh, I think that that then rolls into then they actually have the success that they're supposed to have with blue, but at green. Uh, and, you know, I think that in 2000, I might have dragged my younger brother to this, but I think that we saw Weezer literally at Roy Wilkins Auditorium, but here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And then the very next show that we went to go see them at was, Excel, was at the Excel Energy Center, which is a, a much larger arena. Uh, yeah. That would have been for the Maldroit tour. So I, I, I kind of associate, you know, it's, it's, hard to listen, it's hard for me to listen to these albums and not listen to what's going on with their careers. Green is they're going back to the basics and they're kind of reclaiming their, their throne of pop punk. I don't think there's anybody else that can kind of compete with them as far as the pop punk crown. I think there are other bands that do it better. There are other ones that had higher 
uh, higher bumps right in the, the middle, he says, pointing at one of the ones that actually got to a higher level. But I think that the, by the time that he's doing Maldroit, you know, they're, they're much more of a Bob Rock sort of Lang sort of like, this, we need to make music that fills arenas. You know, Bob Rock is the guy that does Metallica Black. He does Dr. Feelgood. Mutt Lang is the guy that does the Def Leppard albums. He also does Highway to Hell. You know, he kind of has these bigger, we're going to have longer solos because we know that we need to fill arenas and we need to fill the time that's going to be in these arenas. So I think that when you're talking about that, that green feels a little bit basic, it's kind of like it doesn't fit with the cultural profile of Weezer now. Yeah, But back then, when they were just coming back, it was kind of like, we're going to give you, to, to bounce off of your example, we're going to give you lightsabers, we're going to give you things flying through space, you know, we're going to give you all these things. As yeah, a way to then is kind of, the sun, right? <laughs> kind of build the franchise back again. Yeah, and I, and I think that like, I think it's also like where my mind is, because now I listen to it, I think Maldrite is like a guitar god, like, tribute album they want that bigger sound like you're saying like that arena rock kind of i feel like weezer is now like dad rock in our day and age and i kind of like that now as a 31 year old that wants you know wants to like dueling guitars and the like super loud back in the day green album was like i was like into that it was like oh shit some 41 and all this stuff this is what i want i want fast and like very simple and really hard to play but simple music and i feel like the green album is just it's just such a reworking to a certain extent like the album cover is almost the same as the blue it's produced by rick okasic which is the same guy that did the blue album i feel like they just like knew that they got a lot of like i think i think they saw that they got so much love for the blue album and then pinkerton came out and it just got universally panned right away that they were like oh we'll just go back to doing what we did yeah and i think that's why i need to that's why i'm kind of switching it because I've never really listened to Maldorite all the way through. Listening to it all the way through definitely made it way better. I can hear like some of the, there's like a little bit of shoegaziness in it to a certain extent. And like the distortion is a little bit higher and just you, sounds heavier. You are making me so happy with <laughs> your choice. Yeah, I can't I, tell you how much I didn't want to change it. <laughs> <laughs> just to say no to you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have that effect on people. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that's that's the that's a a very open thing to say. You can hear my dog barking in the background. Maybe um, that's LeBron James, Chewbacca, Herman. She's kicking it. I, I'm I'm she impressed. Loves, she by loves that. the red album. Yeah, she's super into Hurley and Gratitude. Those are her <laughs> two favorite. In re-listening to these albums and Pinkerton and Blue, I actually did go listen to a couple other ones in order to just make sure everything is going to be all right. Is something that I've heard is you know potentially a candidate for third best. It is not. White album, I was actually impressed by. I didn't really get into that album when it came out because it was like 2016 or something like that. I wasn't really seeking new Weezer at that moment. And then Pacific Sunset. Those are three that I would recommend that people listen to. I don't think it has to become your favorite. I think it can just be a, if you're going deep into Weezer and you don't want to go all the way to the aforementioned Hurley or Ratitude, you can spend a little time with those three and the three that we have here and probably call it good. Uh, I do think it is interesting that all three of us picked albums that came out immediately after the first two. Uh, nobody was here standing for White or yeah. Sunset. Uh, and doing a little bit of, you know, internetting about this kind of stuff. There is a younger group of Weezer fans and they have a different perspective on it. They, they think Blue is 
good and they think Pinkerton is okay. But I saw some people that are like really, really into Pacific Sunset. They think that that's the best Weezer album more than anything else. And as a 36 year old, I think that's crazy. But also at the same time, these kids are like 22 and I'm just kind of glad that they're listening to Weezer. I'm glad that Weezer has some amount of cachet still. I think you're right, Mike. They're the best pop punk band of all time. You know, I've got a lot of love for Lucky Boy's Confusion and I spent my time with Newfound Glory and Sum 41 and those bands because I was 17, 18 years old in, uh, in 2001. I was, I was like the main target for this, but Weezer is far and away the best of those bands. And I would also say too, that there's an element of, and this is, this is where they started to parody in make-believe. If you go to Red, there's a song called The Greatest Man That Ever Lived. And it's, you know, it has the, the shaker uh, hymn in it. And that's a very recognizable melody for American ears. And they kind of are building to be one of the biggest bands ever. So they kind of, they, they come to embody classic rock, but they also don't lose. I don't want you to just dismiss certain albums that, you know, there are nuggets that are in them. You know, the, you go back and you listen to somebody like David Bowie uh, or Lou Reed bands that, you know, they got to be popular enough, but they weren't, they were never the biggest band in the world. You know, there are, there are songs like, I don't know if you want me to, I believe is what it's called. Uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that song. That's something that's off of uh, Ratitude. So there are good songs to pick out. And I think that looking back at the entire scope of the career, you can go in and you can kind of pick out, you know, this one was a nugget from this one. This one was from a nugget from this one. Even if they're not as much of a coherent idea, especially as we're getting into the streaming age, you know, the idea of a CD album, I think that one of the things that you can say about both Make Believe and maladroit you can't say it about green because green is like 30 minutes long but nothing in both of those uh, both maladroit and make-believe you have albums that are 60 70 minutes long because that's as much music as you could shove into a into a disc and even then i i'm pretty sure that the first version of maladroit that i got had like another disc of even more music so they're trying to you know like the idea is that to be able to justify charging you $15, $16 for these albums, they have to give you as much product as possible. Well, here in the streaming age, they already have your, you know, 37 cents that they're going to hand to the artist. You know, they're going to be able to, you're able to go in and you're able to like specifically select each specific song. You don't really think of them as, a, as an, an album in the way that like in the 1970s, an album was 20 minutes aside and you had to have a side or that you had 67 minutes worth of music on Maladroit. You can, I think that these, these younger fans are probably reacting to the idea that you can kind of pick and choose and have the Weezer that you want, as opposed that's to true. one that's simply presented to you. And then you have to wait, you know, three more years for the Attack of the Clones or three more years after that for Revenge of the Th Sith. You can go and you can actually yeah. say, I want to listen to this one. I want to listen to this one. I want to listen to this one instead. So there are a lot of good songs that are in the way. It's kind of ironic that they have one of their largest hits of all time, which is a cover version of Toto's Africa. And it's years after the fact. I think that there were a lot of people that use that as a, as a way to jump off. It represents to them rock music, but also rock music that doesn't exist anymore. One that I think that they were starting to parody on, on make-believe, which is Rock God Them as 
you said for kiss albums but also kind of like where everybody's on drugs and you know we all we all sleep with models and we we live in these ginormous houses in beverly hills i think that they kind of like they bounced off of that and then they actually ended up having enough music and enough of a deep catalog that then they actually became that but just the 2010s version of that as opposed to the 1970s version of it yeah yeah i think i think i like to like draw a comparison to them with the whole like when i see the like weezer w thing it reminds me a lot of like zz top and it's not like a bad thing (laughs) first off the only one the only w hand moves that anybody should make is a wu-tang one so but it's like it's foreshadowing we will definitely be covering wu-tang topics in large large amounts (laughs) yes we will I just think that they're like compared to like our, our I don't want to say our generation because it spans everything, but it's like our, the time, like the 2000s, the aughts, the like 2010s, it's like the ZZ Top of that like era, you know, because they are classic rock to a certain extent. They fill, they can fill any venue. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad. And they just, they know how to play their damn instruments and they know how to write pop songs and when we think about it, classic rock is pop. You know, it's pop songs. Oh, for sure. I mean, you love Thin Lizzy, uh, if you don't oh, know. God, and yeah. I love Thin Lizzy too. And so it doesn't really surprise me that like we have, we both and all love Weezer of this. Yep. If you haven't spent any time with Thin Lizzy or you just think of the one song, go listen to a couple albums. You can even listen to the one song and it's still really good. Yeah, it's it because they, they have like a Thin Lizzy is Thin Lizzy. Like they don't really change too much. Their first album was not great, but... They started like getting into like a rhythm and they everything Lizzie song is almost the same and I love it. I'll listen to it all day. Right. Yeah. And Weezer, because they were one moving a product in a way that Thin Lizzy wasn't, I think mm-hmm. that by the time that Thin Lizzy's career came along, that it had not grown into that record companies were owned by oil companies and therefore had to turn a profit, had to have a big thing that came out. Yeah. One of the things that's happening uh, in December of 2020 is that there was a uh, a video game put out called Cyberpunk 2077, and everybody's really, really mad because it's really, really buggy. But the truth is, is that the only reason why it came out was because it had to be out in time for Christmas of 2020. Yeah. I think that there's an element to to moving product that was not present at the time of, of Thin Lizzy. And I think that one of the things that uh, remember that this is uh, Weezer is putting out these three albums that we talked about. They're putting them out in 2000, 2002, and 2005, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that is happening at that time is not only is the amount of money in the record industry going down and going down vast amounts because of Nap, the influence of Napster, and also you know the introduction of the idea that maybe I don't want to pay twenty dollars for an album that isn't really that great. But also, there is a certain other band out there right then that is saying, we can take one sound in 1997, go completely the other direction in 2000, and become actually a bigger band. And that band is Radiohead. And you could not Mm. make a comparison to Weezer and their career and not have to mention, well, the band that figured it out at the time, or maybe backed into it, but at the very least, the band that, that... people in the recording industry are talking with are talking with them about is going to be Radiohead and saying, well, why don't you just make a Radiohead album? So for them yeah. to then make Maladroit and go the opposite direction and say, actually, we're going to make a big, we're going to make a big classic rock album and one that will play on classic rock for years. It's kind of, it's kind of the hmm. opposite of what they should be doing. 
Well, I also wonder the opposite of what they're probably getting pre pressured to do at the time. So to make a to make a Cars album, you know, or or a Thin Lizzy album, which again, those are twenty minute chunks per side. You know, to make yeah. sixty seven minutes of a Cars album is going to be it's going to be different in two thousand than making that in say nineteen eighty four and putting it out on eight sides and that sort of thing. Right, and those yeah. the big bass bands at that time right now, just so we're also clear, aside from Radiohead, uh, which also we will cover at some point. Limp Biscuit, Corn. You know, I don't think it's a surprise that Maladroit is the heaviest Weezer album coming out in 2002. Because and it's very funny because each of those bands, you could you could actually turn it, you could point back to Fight for Your Right to Party and say, oh, they didn't get the joke, but there's enough of an audience there that kind of was like, yeah, you should be fighting for your right to party. The thing that the irony was not gotten by those bands, but then you know, then then it would yeah. be very very profitable. And yeah. I think that yeah. that was, you were talking about these albums kind of having a sort of aggressive attitude towards uh, towards women. You have to point out that at that time, a lot of the popular music was extremely aggressive towards women. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think that it was very much of its time and you can go back and you can listen, you can say, hey, that wasn't right. Uh, and I'm glad that they've kind of trended into something a little bit more and that they've continued to have more of a career uh, where they get away from that and they talk about things in a much more mature way. Like you'd yeah. expect it out of people that are approaching their fifties. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny, Dan, that you bring up like uh, bands around that time, because I think when St. Anger came out by Metallica, I think Papa Roach had just won a Grammy or some shit for some reason. And I remember I was so big into Metallica and I went and bought St. Anger and I listened to the first track and I was like, what the hell is this? And it's because they were trying to make something that was popular then and be still be relevant because they had just been a thrash metal band and that wasn't relevant. No one wanted that. Like they were at one point, the biggest, one of the biggest bands and now they're not. And they were on hiatus for so long. They were like, well, we got to fit in somehow. And yeah, it's just funny to hear that. Cause I hear a lot of like, I hear a lot of like in Maladurite, like pop punky kind of like stuff, but also weird new metal-ish kind of stuff where that heaviness. And I hate that I like it, but I do. <laughs> well, so, you know, one of my all-time favorite bands is Deftones, which was referenced previously by Mike. But like, I think there's some back and forth, you know, appreciation between Rivers and, and Chino and that group. So the worst thing to do is go to a Deftones concert because the Deftones are amazing and everybody there is from, you know, they, they just want to go like fight in the mosh pit. And it's like, no, the, they weren't a new metal band. They, they loved the cure and they are a space rock band at this point, but everybody just wants to go because they heard it in 1997 and thought it was new metal. And even they will like distance themselves from it at this point. I mean, that's why I never got into it because I just started listening to it recently. I knew, I knew that it was good, but I just, I always lumped them in as new metal. So like when I started getting into punk, I was like trying to shun anything with that label. And there's some good shit out there that I guess would be. Yeah. System not, of a Now, I think is new metal. So that's another podcast though. Not trying to court you, but I probably make you a Deftones playlist at some point and you can just listen to the best parts of that's it. That's fine. As we bring it in for a landing, what we are going to try to do here is ask our guests to come up with a lightning round topic. So Mike, do you have a third best question that we can answer in this podcast? Certainly. Spoiler warning, because I know that matters to people. Ben, have you watched all of The Mandalorian yet? No. Okay. Know, well, I'm have sorry. you at least watched the first season of The Mandalorian? This is November 2020. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll throw this out there. If the two best characters on The Mandalorian are 
the character that is popularly known as Baby Yoda and the character, which is the title character, the Mandalorian. What is the third best character on the Mandalorian? Dan, do you want to go first? I will. Yeah, I've seen all the way through season two. We will definitely try not to spoiler anything on this. I think the third best Mandalorian character is Gina Carano's character, who was the MMA fighter. I think her character's name is like Kara Dune or something like that. I am willing to accept being wrong if somebody really wants to fight for like Moff Gideon. But I think Kara Dune, you know, there's a thing in Star Wars where you have a, a strong female character, you know, Leia Organa being the obvious choice of that. And I think Kara Dune just kind of carries that as well. All right. Does it have to be a living thing? Like, could it be? So my, mine is the ship. The ship is like the best character. Yeah. Whatever Razor Crest. Is. Razor Crest. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like it's an iconic ship. Again, like I, I haven't watched the second season, so I, I don't know. But out of the first season, that was like the first one, obviously, is Baby Yoda. Like that is the best character ever. He's great. Or she. I don't know. They. They're great. The Mandalorian is also really good as a character. And I just think the ship is iconic. Star Wars is so good at doing iconic ships that they become a character. Like the, the Millennium Falcon is a fucking character. Like I don't, right. I don't care what anybody says. Like they, it is a standalone character. And so... Kevin Smith talked about going to visit the set of the what are now called the sequel trilogy. Uh, and he, he said that he walked in and he saw the Millennium Falcon. It was just kind of like he had this really overwhelming moment. And it's like it's yeah. a ship, but it also it's like this iconic. You're very right. That is it is a, the ships are characters uh, in the totally. same way that like, say, Boba Fett's ship is is recognizable. Yeah, Slave iconic. One. Slave One. Yeah, the X-wing fighters, terrible name, but yeah, the Y yeah. fighters, or, or or even think about like the difference between a Tie fighter and if I said Darth Vader's Tie fighter, you both know what oh, we're yeah. talking about. I mean, oh, granted, yeah. we are all thirty to forty year old <laughs> white dudes from the middle of the country, but you know, I think people just know that it's got that like bent part of it. Michael, well, what was your like answer? The sound. I will just simply make a very very simple argument right here. It's the character voiced by Nick Nolte. His name is Quill, and I have spoken. Uh, <laughs> all right <laughs> i get that nice i get that <laughs> cool. i hope you guys enjoyed this i hope that you come back at some point and listen to us but also if nothing else go take a little time and listen to make believe maladroit and your probably original third pick of the green album and critically assess whether or not you still believe that's the third best I don't know what kind of normal schedule we're going to be doing for this to start off. My wife is pregnant. We're going to be welcoming our first child into the world in March, but plan on releasing these fairly regularly. If nothing else, just go follow us on Instagram at the number three RD best pod and, you know, smash our likes on any of the platforms that you listen to. Mike, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Dan, I love you, Ben. I only like you. All right, Bye, love, Mike. Love you, Dan. I'll make you love me. <laughs> Eventually. Thank you for having me. Ben, talk to you soon. Good to see you, Dan. Yep, cheers, Thanks, guys. Y'all.